welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 530. Nod. Yes, hunt men. He stressed the word. Hunt Vicenta. At least he knew why we were here. Red? I reached out and touched the red leather strap that held the fabric of his shirt tight to his body. It was surprisingly soft. For hunting? Do you have other clothes? Not red? Tempe looked down at his outfit, fidgeting. Then he nodded and went over to his pack and drew out a shirt of plain gray homespun. He held it up for me. For hunting, but not fighting. I wasn't sure what he... I wasn't sure what his distinction meant, but I was willing to let it go for now. What will you do if Vicenta find you in the forest? I asked. Talk or fight? He seemed to think about it for a moment. Not good at talk, he admitted. Vicenta, fight. I nodded. One bandit, fight. Two, talk. He shrugged. Can fight too. Fight and win? He gave another nonchalant shrug and pointed to where Dayton was carefully picking twigs out of the sod. Like him? Three or four. He held out his hand, palm up, as if offering me something. If three bandit, I fight. If four, I try best to talk. If three bandit, I fight. If four, I try best talk. I wait until three night. Then he made an odd, elaborate gesture with both hands. Fire intense. I relaxed, glad he had followed our earlier discussion. Yes, good, thank you. The five of us had a quiet dinner of soup, bread, and a rather unimpressive gummy cheese we'd bought in Crossan. Dayton and Hespi bickered in a friendly way, and I speculated with Martin about what sort of weather we might expect over the next few days. Other than that, there wasn't much chatter. Two of us had already come to blows. We'd come a hundred miles since Severin, and we were all aware of the grim work ahead of us. Hold on, Martin said. What if they catch you? He looked up at me. We all have a plan if the bandits find us. We head back with them and you'll track us down on the third day. I nodded. And don't forget the distraction. Martin looked anxious. But what if they catch you? I don't have any magic. I can't guarantee I'll be able to track them down by the third that third night. Probably, sure. But tracking isn't a certain thing. I'm just a harmless musician, I reassured him. I got in some trouble with the baronet Ban Bride's niece and thought it would be best if I legged it into the forest for a while. I grinned. They might rob me, but as I don't have much, they'll probably just let me go. <clears throat> oh. They might rob me, but as I don't... End of the page! Ah, thank you. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I felt like the eye of Sauron was like, 
homing in on you there as you started to read past i just got excited i was really into it and i read past my marker and we have one rule and you know what i'm sorry but i do have a note that i want to say before i forget and you're gonna think it's the most mundane thing but i'm saying it anyway and that is that gummy cheese is the most repulsive way to describe cheese (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering of gummy cheese, like sort of like a gummy worm, like made yum, of gelatin, yum, yum. <laughs> uh, dipped in sugar. Yum, yeah. Yum. Like I like my cheese either crumbly or like hard is an okay like word for it. Or even squishy is less bad than gummy. Like gummy <laughs> is not a way you want your cheese to be. <laughs> what other consistencies are acceptable to you, Jordana? Why is this important to you? <laughs> I'm just really, I'm just really invested in the you consistency brought up of the your cheese. cheese. Uh, sharp. I well, that's flavored rather than a. That's a flavored. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a descriptive <laughs> word. You had one job. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, soft, crumbly, hard. You always said crumbly. Whatever. I'm just listing them. Okay. I just. <laughs> Welcome back to Cheese Please, where Jordana lists the different consistencies of You cheese. asked for this information, okay? This is not a rant I went on entirely by myself. Nick banging his fist on the interrogation room desk. <laughs> Stop lying to me! Never start with the gummy cheese. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, so the at the top of the page, the distinction between Hunt... Uh, versus uh, kill is very clear to me. Like uh, Tempe has a suit of clothes for hunting, which is like what you use to track down, you know, food that you're hunting, but fighting, they have a very different outfit because of the movement, it needs to like allow for a certain kind of movement. There's probably a certain amount of like honor involved in wearing the reds. And also it, it prevents you from uh, being shown, seen to bleed. But what it also makes me think of is that maybe Tempe was hired under false pretenses. Maybe he understands that he's hired just to like find these people just to hunt, uh, but not to do any killing. Maybe that's a different rate or maybe that's why he, I don't know. Just like the, the fact that he has this distinction between hunt and kill, maybe they just, they don't kill lightly. I don't know. There's just something going on with the fact that he many times mentions that he, he is hunting rather than being sent to do assassinations. He's wearing his red clothing, which is his killing people clothing. So if anything, if he is under the impression that he's supposed to be doing one and not the other, he's under the impression that he was hired to kill, not to hunt. But I don't actually think... We just said at the beginning, do you know what we're doing here? Yes, hunt men. I think the reason that he stresses the word hunt is because it's a new word. It's a word that he isn't completely sure that he's pronouncing correctly, so he stresses it. Hmm. Maybe. He does. He knows hunting, but not fighting. Anyway, I think you're maybe you're onto something. Anyway, it's it's interesting to see how Tempe kind of discovers the language. I I think you're right. And it feels honest to me. Like it it feels real. Like this is another great example of Rothfuss like doing something that I don't know that I've like ever encountered someone who was as bad a speaker and then kind of been with them as they discovered the language. But it definitely feels honest. This kind of like discovery and blossoming comfort with it. I was like one of the. The like assigned friends to a an exchange student from France who was learning the language, and it feels relatively true to me, to like to like the way that like I watched her kind of like learn the way that we speak English. It's a similar sort of thing where like they test out the words when you're saying them, hmm. and there's a lot of repetition. 
I wonder if Rothfuss uh, observed this or if he's just sort of, maybe he did some research. I don't know. But anyway, it's another great example of something like it, it's verisimilitudinous, as we like to mm-hmm. say. I feel like Tempe might have trouble with that word. But one thing he doesn't have trouble with is fighting three guys at once. I feel like we're all a little brain poisoned by having seen a lot of action movies or whatever. But like, it is very difficult to fight more than one person at a time. And Tempe is very confident that he could take on three guys who are as good at fighting as as Dayton is without much trouble. It's only when he might be confronted with four guys that he's like, I would try to talk at that point. Which gives us some idea that not only is he a confident fighter, but as we will learn later, he's not even like the most badass Adam around. He's kind of a novice. So that gives us some idea of, at the very least, how confident the Adam are in their martial abilities. And that the the beliefs people have about them as being like supernaturally gifted fighters do have a basis in truth. They do practice martial arts to such a degree that they can fight three experienced mercenaries and be confident of winning. And I just want to take a moment to appreciate the legwork that Rothfuss did in in injecting this, uh, the myth of the Adam into the book. I think there's like one line in the first book about the Adam. And then early in this book, we get a couple lines early on about like, oh, the Adam have a magic power where they, they burn their words. There's enough in there that by the time we do meet Tempe, we are excited and we know about their reputation. And again, it feels verisimilitudinous. And that's how I like these these twists and turns to come about. There's nothing I, I dislike more than something new being injected. And then as it shows up on screen or on the page, a bunch of uh, exposition about it to kind of set the context. It needs to be injected earlier. Writers, if you're adding something new, just flip back a random number of pages and write a sentence yeah. about it. I mean, listen, your readers will thank you. You joke, but I do feel that uh, for many of us, uh, that is how you end up foreshadowing stuff is that you think of it while you're writing. And then later when you're revising your draft, you realize, oh, I should probably foreshadow that thing that's coming up. But I agree with you, Nick. But I also think that the degree to which it is irritating is the degree to which it feels like it's important to the plot. So like the worst examples of this are like, a deus ex machina, something that completely changes the story, just like falls out of the sky with no foreshadowing or explanation. And it feels very unearned in certain minor cases. Quoth didn't really have to explain uh, the little device that he uses to like open the door. Yeah. The sort of like, you know, handheld battering ram sympathy thing that he uses to open the door. He doesn't really need to establish that up too far ahead of time because it's not that important to the story. Whereas if we had never heard anything about the Adam until just now, it might strike us as a little weird. Not only did, are there a few lines that set it up, but there is that whole story that uh, is a story within a story that we've heard earlier in this book that features an Adam and sort of sets us up what non-Adam people think about the Adam. And again, there is evidence that Tempe, he has trouble with the language, but he understands well enough what's going on to have already digested what Quoth's plan is and what he should do if he gets caught, right? Quoth doesn't have to re-explain that stuff to him. He did understand what was happening there. But of course, what we're about to get to on the next page and what is sort of starting to be set up on this page is the one glaring flaw in Quoth's plan, which is that he is just hoping that he'll be able to talk his way out of trouble and he has no real plan for what to do if they can't track him down in three days. Hello?
Just thinking about cheese consistencies. Jordana, uh, I'm sorry I jumped down your throat before. Do you have any other cheese consistencies you'd like to share? No, Nick, I'm good. I believe we're done for notes for this page. Why don't we wrap it uh, up? Personally, I like a firm cheese. Uh, I, I'm, I find a, a... Oh, firm is a good word. I can't believe I didn't think of that. You're right. Firm is the best word for cheese. I'm sorry that I didn't let you say your words earlier. Firm is the best word. That's okay, Jordana. I forgive you. Though you have wronged me deeply, I, I forgive you. But sometimes you do want like a gooey cheese. You want like a nice stuff. I agree. Brie is a good gooey cheese. I prefer like a firm Gouda, but like it's a little squishy. It's got to have some give to it. It's got to be a little yeah. gummy. Hey, oh, we came full circle. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was sorry. I was deeply thinking about my next words. A both firm and crumbly Parmesan is the perfect consistency for Parmesan. Just, you know, by the way. You heard it here first, folks. Seek a firm yet crumbly Parmesan if you want the perfect consistency. And tune in tomorrow for a new cheese with a new consistency on the Cheese Cast. It's cheese of the wind. Page of of the the cheese. Bye-bye. Cheese.